Good morning, everybody. It's Friday, July 23rd. I'm Charlie Fink. It's This Week in XR. I'm here with Ted Chilowitz to talk about the week's news. And as we were saying in the pre-roll, Ted, um, Epic Games acquires Alban Dayanel's Sketchfab. Yes, lives to fight another day, which uh, you and I are very excited about, considering our early discussions about the importance of Sketchfab to the community and the ecosystem and how it needs I mean, to find Sketchfab a home. Sketchfab is integrated everywhere 3D content is being made. Yep. I mean, you go, you know, to Unity, Unreal Engine, uh, you know, Lens Studio uh, on Snapchat, which is super easy for anybody to use. And there is Sketchfab with free, often extremely high quality, content um, that people can incorporate into the experiences that they're making. So kind of incredible that Epic has now essentially got a beachhead. Completely uh, all those platforms, including their competitors. Right. Completely ubiquitous and an important part of where things are headed. I think, you know, some of my earliest uses of Sketchfab were some of the early 3D test scans that I did of me and some other folks when we were starting to experiment with different volumetric and scanning techniques is what was a good player to use with all these weird file formats and things. And Sketchfab was the most logical place to park it. Everybody could open it up on their phone and they could open it up on their computer. It was, you know, it was like, we, we have a good love spot for that. So I'm, I'm thrilled that they're going to have some new resources and new ways to go about uh, continuing their journey. The, the Epic content store um, is uh is going to be massive. It's going to be the Google of 3D objects. Mm-hmm. Between that and member Quixel that they, you know, picked up. Yeah, exactly. The the, the, they're, they're, they're expanding their universe quite nicely. So it's good. Yeah, it's really, really impressive, but they've raised so much money. <laughs> yeah. So much money. Um, I, I just, you know, it's so funny. I mean, how much more are they going to vacuum up before doing a $50 billion IPO? Well, I mean, and it all informs this thing that is our constant uh, point of discussion, which, you know, thanks to our friend, author, Neil Stevenson, created the word metaverse. It is maybe the most used word. Oh, my I God. I mean, Mark, Zuck- Mark Zuckerberg gave an extensive uh, interview to platformers Casey New- uh, Newton uh, and talks extensively about the metaverse that they are now trying to build. Yeah, sorry, I've got the... Uh, there's some activity going on upstairs. I'm going to ask them to stop. So uh, it's a little noisy. Uh, we're, we're still uh, such, are, such, are the wa- such are the wages of working from home, although we, we, we do this from home anyway. Yeah, yeah, um, okay. But uh, uh, anyway, so let me uh, give you a little uh, insight into my process. Anybody who is interested in this week of, in XR, I'm utterly pre- unprepared for this show. I'm getting ready to leave town. My granddaughter is here. Uh, my son and daughter-in-law are working intermittently. <laughs> so it's, you know, we're, we're you know, not used to this amount of uh, activity and moving parts, although it is fantastic to have them here, of course. Yeah. So what I do all week uh, is like every other idiot, I look at my phone 600 times a day <laughs> and, and it's filled with tech news. Yep. And when I find the biggest stories are the stories that I think are the most relevant to our conversation every week and to the Forbes column, I forward them to myself at This Week in XR. Um, And that's how you build your your And that's how I I do it. Mm -hmm. And um, it forces me to read all the articles, which is great. 
Yeah. Uh, and it gives us, you know, we pick and choose the ones we think are the most relevant. So let me get into my mail here. Obviously, this is all usually done ahead yeah, of but time. This is okay for people that are regular listeners to our, to our little pattern. They, they sort of know who we are now and the fact that we are still attempting to do our various summer vacation experiences too. So, uh, you know, with family and stuff, we're heading up to. Yeah, exactly. So, okay, so, here's, so, so here's one. Um, Snap made a big acquisition. It continues to build up. Uh, it buys another company to make AR shopping. Uh, Vertebrae yes. uh, helps brand turn goods into 3D assets. Yeah, seems like a running theme, right? The idea of 3D assetting the world, which is something you and I have been probably on the forefront of. I mean, you and I both have high resolution scans of ourselves and objects that we use in our world, <laughs> and we've been comfortable with that part of the metaverse. So, um, uh, you know, the rest of the world is starting to catch up, which is interesting. I, 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 I agree, you know, there just was a launch of a publicly traded, I guess it's called an EFT, not to be confused with an NFT, uh, that's being run by Matthew Ball, who's the venture capitalist who's been talking about the metaverse, and it's called the Metaverse Fund. Yeah. And so you I, can invest in the, and he's just investing in a bucket of public, large public companies, right, and you're just betting along with him for you know less than one percent fee so i thought that was a pretty good deal but what he's doing is buying a bucket of stocks many of which i own already which you know with facebook google you know all the fang companies so um yeah i mean i guess they're all in the metaverse <laughs> but it's sort of like saying everything is in xr because let's not forget okay that in 1995 everybody had to get on this thing called the internet mm -hmm. And so isn't the metaverse another way of talking about cyberspace or you know, its successor? Yeah, it's just, it's the evolution of this two-dimensional grid of pixels into something that is more use case oriented to a three-dimensional world, which is what we actually live in in the real world. So the artificial pixel-based world is starting to take the next step to mirror the real world. In fact, there's an article in the NAB press site that just came out yesterday. I think I, I forwarded it to you and Brandon um, that where I talk about our perspective, the Viacom CBS perspective on the metaverse um, that people can easily find if they if they Google it or we can put it up in the show notes and stuff. Um, you know, it's it's starting to become very popular discussion outside of people that are deeply into it, just like the internet. It's becoming so ubiquitous, I guess mm -hmm. ubiquitous is my, my word of the day, that mm -hmm. the word itself is starting to take on more meaning than it actual's original intention was. So when we talk about the internet today, you know, we talk about the internet of everything and the internet of things. And now we're going to start to talk about the metaverse of everything or the mirror world of everything. And it's a it's a big part of my daily work life. Is is I, have, I happen to think it's 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 going to be based on cross-platform avatars. So there's a cryptocurrency in my backpack. My smartphone is in my backpack. Yep. Um, and, uh, and my avatars, plural, are in my mm -hmm. backpack. I agree with you. Yeah. We all know avatar shopping is, is a big uh, activity on VRChat. It drove its growth uh, and is the principal form of entertainment still right. uh, on VRChat. So uh, there's no question avatars. I've been saying that you know world builders are going to be the new influencers. Mm -hmm. And there will be a competition for world builders that I predict will be more fierce than there is today between the streaming platforms who are promising huge advances to the most popular 
um, personalities. So, right. um, and you this, know, TikTok this, is competing with Twitch and YouTube and Facebook want to get in on it. So as a result, people who are driving, you know, big communities, you know, often in the tens of millions are, are you know, uh, highly sought after. And I think that it, world builders will be even more scarce. Yeah, well, and this drifts right back into our earlier discussion about Epic. The other thing that Epic is putting a lot of muscle and resources in is making the digital human project. Their meta-human project. So now I've got a, a beachfront in Unity. Yeah. Obviously, the meta-humans already exist on Unreal Engine. So I've got a beachhead on Unity. I've got a beachhead uh, on Snapchat. I've got a beachhead on Facebook. So, so why wouldn't you choose a metahuman interoperable across all everything that is made? Um, so I think that's sort of an interesting situation where they're kind of going check. Yeah, I don't think it's mate, but uh, I think it's extreme cleverness is admirable. Obviously, they are being very aggressive in these acquisitions. Although, of course, that in a private transaction, it's never really disclosed how much. Uh, they're paying, at least it's not clear just yet. Um, so let me go back to my bag of tricks and see what else I can find. As you're, um, as you're doing that, I will mention that I am a very big fan of Matthew Ball and his writings. Uh, he's thoughtful. Uh, he takes his time. He processes things. He has written, I think, an eight or nine part series that touches all different sectors of the metaverse. And it's an interesting next sort of monetization step that he's getting involved in creating essentially like a spider type fund, uh, like a Vanguard style fund for people to, to sort of fight along. I think it's a great, great move. With his thesis, and yeah. I'm not, a, and again, I do own some of that stock. So yeah, I, I, I think we probably it. own all of them in some fashion. Um, yeah, I, so like I said, I think it's just, it's things I already own, but it's filtered by Matthew Ball. So in a way yeah, it's yeah. just like, how does Matthew Ball perform versus the rest of the portfolio? Maybe I just offload everything onto him. Yeah, you never know, right? It's, it's interesting. <laughs> um, so, okay, here's another one from our friend at Haptex, uh, the company that makes the you know remote gloves. Mm -hmm. So, because of remote work uh, and remote factories, the demand for these gloves, which are not cheap, they're not for consumers, right. but the demand for the gloves, right? You're putting your hands into the gloves and you're operating a robot you know, around the other side of the world as if you were there. Uh, so they just raised another $12 million. They are uh, moving into a new headquarters uh, and, um, you know, good on, good on them. Joe Michaels, chief revenue officer, used to work with me at AOL back in the day. Um, and of course the, um, you know, the company, um, the company has been around for, for a few years, I guess. Yeah, and that, and that, oh, it's indeed. Yeah, there. It was led by existing investors, including Verizon. Yeah. Yeah, and that's a long-term trajectory play as well. Like it goes all the way back to me thinking about you know high school science experiments where you had to put your hands in the gloves to deal with the yeah. chemistry, and that was sort of like very close remote operation. But now, but, but basically, you know, you know I tried them at CES back in yeah, you and I tried. Actually, in 2020, it was the beginning of 2020, uh, and uh, and the gloves are hard to use. I mean, it's yeah. a skilled, you know, it's a high skilled job, but they they work. They're pretty amazing. And by the way, when we see these things in a commercial context, you know, another way of looking at it is, you know, in 10 years, I'm going to be able to buy those. Correct. 
Correct. Right. Today, yeah, I mean, it's the Air Force and, you know, uh, GE and people who are, you know, licensing these or buying these systems. But uh, I think that there's no question that there'll be haptic systems available. In fact, Tesla suit just announced in its new suit, you can feel raindrops mm -hmm. on your body. Mm -hmm. Pretty cool, right? Yeah. So what else could it have you feel on your body? Right. Well, like, you may a punch. Yeah, and you, you make the point about, you know, taking things from the military operations and professional use cases where they're many, many, many thousands of dollars. And today we have a VR headset that's just a couple hundred dollars, right? That is completely viable for a consumer. The same thing is going to happen with all these other pieces of that ecosystem that allow you to feel things that, you know, are, are artificial but feel real. Um, and yeah, I've done lots of different things. There was an interesting thing a few years back where Disney was developing a type of a suit like the Tesla suit for their bespoke use cases that had this extraordinarily sophisticated pneumatic system that was built with oh all these pipes wow. and air things. <laughs> and it would like squeeze it. So you could imagine wearing a headset and feeling a boa constrictor like circling right. it and actually feeling it happen. And that yeah. was the stuff they were working on. So. Yeah, the, through, the throughput on that must have been just ridiculously slow. I don't even know why they considered putting people in suits. Um, I mean, the line would be, you know, around the block. But on the other hand, what could go wrong, right? It's just all uh, part of the idea. You know, some mom, some mom gets squeezed to death. <laughs> <laughs> too much, too much pressure. Yeah. All right. So last story: Wolf 3D. I just think this is on theme. Wolf 3D is a company that has a product called Ready Player Me. Mm. And they're introducing it, you know, as a cross-platform avatar. In fact, I have a Ready Player Me avatar on VR chat. It's not the best avatar I have, but uh, I kind of like the idea that I could take it um, to different platforms. I don't know if I could take it to Fortnite. So, you know, okay, that's an outline of what we were talking about before. Maybe people go to a special site for all their avatar needs. Yeah, I think it's coming. Yeah, they were yeah, so again, when we talk about the metaverse, there are all these different ways you could go in. We're not even talking about the hardware aspect of it. Correct. And, and then, the, of course, the big unknown, although we're starting to see hints of how this might work, is, you know, how are people in AR? What is their relationship to the metaverse? Right. I mean, we're people are not going to be walking around in headsets anytime soon and probably not in our lifetime uh, as an everyday uh, thing. I mean, again, some cognizant said I may be, but you know, it's, it's, it's hard to imagine in the next 10, 15 years, uh, that being an everyday activity yet, you know, so that means the smartphone has got to be at the center of what's happening. And yeah. you look at how rec room has exploded, mm -hmm. um, you know, and a lot of that has to do with game consoles and iOS, frankly. Uh, I think they said a third of their traffic is on iOS now. So uh, you see the importance of smartphones to the metaverse and obviously people are finding it satisfying enough, even though it's got the tiniest field of view of any device you could possibly use to be inside of a 3D environment. So um, kind of amazing. So that's our show. Are we going to have Roy Taylor, Brandon? Um, yeah, so we'll still have our fine. guest segment. Uh, we'll try and get a guest segment added to this week's podcast. Uh, I'm going to be uh, on the road with the fam, uh, but Ted, like I did last sure. week, Ted's going yeah, uh, to jump in uh, with Roy Taylor, um, whose company, uh, Ted, you are an advisor to the company, right? I'm an advisor to the company, so I know a few things about it. So I guess that I would be fine for me to do the interview. <laughs> 
with Roy. No All right, great. I'll let you guys do that uh, tomorrow and um, have a great weekend, everybody. We're going to try and sneak in an on vacation uh, podcast then too. So today our guest is Roy Taylor uh, from a company called Riff, which I happen to be an advisor of. And uh, as our listeners know, Charlie and I are doing our modified summer vacation schedule. So Charlie and I often uh, do these interviews together, but we're actually leapfrogging occasionally where one of us takes on the interview duties after we do our news reports uh, so the other can actually head on with their, with their summer travels. So, so I did it last week when I was traveling back actually from a work trip from New York. And this week, Charlie's on a family trip. And I think in a week or so, I'm on a family trip. So this is how we're doing it. But Roy and I are, are good friends. And we've actually been on this XR journey together uh, for, what, probably seven, eight years now, Roy? Something like yeah, that. Yeah. A, good, a good amount of time. We've known each other. And, and in, the, in the relation of just becoming good personal friends uh, and helping each other with our business aspirations of trying to figure out the path forward. So uh, maybe you want to tell us, maybe even before you tell us about Rift, tell us a little about your background, uh, which I think the listeners would be interested in at, uh, you know, these, these sort of tech giants that uh, have really dominated the world's technology and then uh, your foray into the world of, of startup technology and changing the world of uh, your little corner of the world that you're working on now. Yes, thank you, Ted. It's always a pleasure to, uh, to do these with you. So my background is in 1998, I started working out of my bedroom for a then uh, unknown company called uh, NVIDIA. And it's unlikely that anyone listening today does not know them. Mm -hmm. Back in 1998, I was uh, in the UK working in my bedroom, convincing the world to use GPUs. And uh, I came up with a program called uh, The Way It's Meant to Be Played, uh, which was a program where we could help games developers with code that would accelerate functions on the GPU. Now that program was very successful. So in 2005, I moved to the US, worked on a program worldwide. And in 2010, I wanted to do something fresh. So I came to Hollywood um, to work in 3D, but not in video games anymore, but in film and television. Right, and that's where we, uh, we started to intersect together, yeah. That's right, that's right. And then um, I, uh, I joined AMD, uh, another GPU maker, and, uh, and I think our journey really started um, around uh, the, the time when VRLA was put together. Right, right. The, world. the very beginnings of the VR culture starting to happen, right? Yeah, yeah, really interesting. And I'm very proud of our association with that, as I'm sure you are, Ted. The VRLA became the world's largest VR event. Yeah, I think I was uh, either the first or one of the first guests at the first meeting where I actually FaceTimed into it because I was actually in Vegas working on a project and everyone was at Digital Domain and sitting in folding chairs and there was I don't know, 50, 100 people or something. And that was, a, that was a fun start to where we sit today. So that was interesting. Yeah. And, you know, I think it's interesting for our listeners, especially the younger listeners that are uh, working on their aspirational goals. When you just mentioned how casually I work for this literally a little unknown company <laughs> called NVIDIA, right? And I think the important thing there is that there is a whole nother crop of those NVIDIAs on the way somewhere in someone's basement, in someone's garage, at someone's university, uh, working on something that is going to change the world again. And, and the fact that NVIDIA, everybody knows now and is such a powerhouse and helps you know, work within so many industries to power them. At some point, that was a tiny little startup, right? Um, yeah. So yeah. I think that's- oh, in, that's the, uh, in the early days, Jensen used to say, we're 30 days from going out of business. Mm -hmm. 
Um, it doesn't say that anymore. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, probably got a little more runway these days. But Ted, um, you're absolutely right. The, uh, the thing I think that excites us both is that right now somebody's listening to this podcast who has an original idea that can change the world. Right. And I know that every day you and I get out of bed excited for the day ahead because we know that that's true and we want to try and find them and help them. Correct. Exactly right. Which leads us into your work today with a startup that is growing now quite robustly and landing new opportunities all the time. Uh, but maybe tell us the journey from the initial inspiration of the idea, what, what the concept of Riff is uh, and how it's working and what you're doing. Yeah, um, I still today play a lot of video games. And uh, in actual fact, I was playing PUBG at the time. And I saw um, the, uh, the Intel advert in the game and I thought, I don't think that's the right way to go. And as I'm doing that and I'm changing my weapons, <clears throat> as you can, of course, uh, I realized, well, if you can change weapons, uh, 3D models that way, then actually you should be able to change any 3D model of anything. It doesn't have to be a weapon or a Jeep or a car. It could be a product or a poster. And there's a $20 billion product placement industry. And it's amazing because it's $20 billion and nobody likes it. Right. <laughs> the placements are either cheesy. Hey, please buy an AMD processor. Right. Or they just don't fit with the story. Uh, someone goes on set and interrupts a director. The talent doesn't really like it very much. And nor do the viewers. And so it occurred to me that there ought to be a way to be able to make product placement and that industry work for everybody by making it natural, making it easy to adapt and to change and start creating money or, or creating a way for content creators to make money. Mm -hmm. You know, you and I um, have often spoken about the fact that the hardest thing in XR is for those people with those breakout ideas to get funded. Right. So why not create a platform that will instantly um, pay creators, be tip of the spear for this new creator economy so they can get funded and allow their stories to be told. And, 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 your, and your technology is, is cross-platform, right? So it works in yes. traditional television, streaming television, over-the-air television, as well as next-gen platforms, XR, VR, MR, all yeah, that. Uh, absolutely, we can support. Um, so we do all of our ingestion. So we capture all of the video information and we capture all of the metadata and we do all of that in real time. So we're able to um, ingest and create opportunities so that um, your project can get funded by putting imagery, brands, products into a scene in a way that's very natural, narratively supportive and not cheesy. So, so explain a little bit about the, the technology, because you and I, of course, know it so well because we're intimately involved in it. Um, and I think we actually maybe leapfrogged a little bit about people are still scratching heads going, that's cool, but what exactly are they doing? So maybe explain how you're using the power of GPU and game engine to essentially reinvent the ad model and the ad placement model. Yeah, you know, in fact, I'll do something I've never done before because it's you, Ted. Okay. I have literally never done a live demo. You want to do a little screen share with us and see what happens, okay. right? I am going to do a little, um, if it all works okay here, I'm just queuing it up now. Okay. Um, it works okay. And for those that are listening instead of watching, they can either sign on to the YouTube link, which Brandon, our producer, will put in the show notes, or um, at the end, we'll 
you'll you'll let people know about your website and some of the demo materials they can find offline. So yeah, yeah I'm happy to try a little interactive session with you here. I am going to uh, close a couple of background processes I've run in here so that it'll be smooth. Okay. Um, for the people that can see it, and um, maybe Ted, because you're such a wonderful narrator, you can uh, you talk to it. <laughs> the ones that can't see it. Uh, you can describe what I'm showing, but sure. let me, okay, great. That's all queued up perfectly. Um, so what I'm gonna do is I'm going to um, demonstrate that it's possible to um, create a, a situation where I can dynamically change something in, uh, in a scene right. while you are watching. So, so what you're gonna see is a video of a guy sitting on the couch and he's uh, using his phone. I think, yep. uh, and this should be recording now. Yep, and what I'm going to do is I'm going to put the keyboard down like this so you can see my hands. Okay. And I'm going to demonstrate that I can push a key and there's a Coca-Cola. Right. Now and I'm going to do another one, white wine. And yep. as fast as I can push the key, I can change what you see. Now, these are not video overlays. So um, I think that this podcast is a pretty sophisticated audience. And so what I'm showing is by effectively rendering 3D models in front of a video where you know all of the information that's in the uh, video, that's in the streamed image, you can now use that data information to render an image, uh, sorry, a 3D model, sorry, that looks as though it were always in the original video. Right. So it's... So it, it understands the lighting dynamics. It looks like the object is actually physically there and it's all happening in real time through a background uh, graphics render process. So that dynamically, so even for live events like live sports and things, you can actually change things. You could change objects in the background of the scene and you know, you're, you're working a commerce model where uh, the world changes fast and people may say, oh, actually, We'd love to, you know, be an advertiser in this thing, but we don't have time to physically get the product X, Y, and Z, or set up all the the physical, uh, you know, event-based uh, stuff. Um, and you're like, no problem, we can do that, right? So yeah, so, yeah. Um, so I'm very aware, uh, well aware that right now probably half the podcast is thinking, wow, that's awesome. Um, I'd like to get that income, and the other half is thinking, oh my god, that's awful. I don't want any more products <laughs> and advertising into my content. So for those that don't like that idea, you can perfectly well use technology creatively. Right. So why shouldn't you, why should you not be able, for example, to put something into your XR content specifically for Hong Kong or London or Prague or Venezuela, the country or for a city, some Paolo. Yeah. Um, and now you can start to realize, oh, I could do some really, really fun things if it's a spooky piece of content. Or I can make it contextually or culturally relevant. Right. So it can change what's in the scene to make sure that it resonates with the audience it's intended for. Yeah, and you know, and I, and I think we were talking about this before we started the interview. You know, Facebook announced that they are starting to experiment with advertising inside the VR platform, which of course got this immediate wave of negative reaction, the dynamic of that and what that feels like, right? And, but, but truth be told, somebody has to pay for all this content somehow. And Facebook probably isn't just going to keep advanced funding it forever, right? They try, they're trying to make a business out of this. And lar largely they have made a business in various ways with certain pieces of hit content. But 
for content that isn't giant hits, it's hard to monetize that. It's hard to find funding for that. Uh, and we have a, obviously a very historically proven model for uh, monetizing and creating funding for projects. It's called advertising, right? And television yeah. has done it for millennium now. So, you well, know, soap operas are called soap operas um, um, because of the soap. I know right? you have a lot of yeah, young audience um, who may not know because, yes, because of soap. You got to sell the soap, right? It was the soap manufacturers that funded them. Um, the other thing uh, I want to point out about platform is so for those that can't see, uh, Ted uh, does his podcast from his uh, his wonderful home, which I've, um, I've been privileged to be able to visit. And in the background of his wonderful office, he's got uh, a guitar, and he's got a whole bunch of music stuff. And uh, for anyone that's not been able to go to Ted's house, um, it's always a treat. <laughs> now the reason I bring that up is not to try and embarrass Ted as a dear friend. But if we were to put some soap into the scene right now, we all know that would be wrong. Right. But if we could put some kind of music sponsorship advertising that was um, authentic because Ted actually likes the products and thinks it's pretty cool. And it's kind of narratively supportive, not because we're telling a story about drama in Ted's office, but it supports the theme of Ted's love of music. Now we've created an income for Ted and we've done it in a way which is authentic and real, both for you and the people watching the video. Right, so if I wanted to say, hey Roy, we're gonna monetize this. Could you put a Martin guitar, an Ovation guitar and a Yamaha guitar next to my real Yamaha guitar? No one would know the difference, right? Or- They, they wouldn't know the difference. You know, because if I, if I you know, move the video over here to this little sort of mini museum of stuff <laughs> that I have, on one side or the other, and I said, "Hey, put a put a couple of those G Tech hard drives that I used to work at. Um, put a, put like a hundred of those in there because it'd be fun to show that, right?" Um, so yeah, th there's an organic, correct way to do this, which I think is smart. I think yes. the way you're approaching this is really smart. Um, so as we wrap up our interview time, uh, if you want to tell people name of the company, the website, uh, where can they find some demo content, and how can they get in touch with you if they're interested in learning more or potentially being a client of yours. Uh, sure. As a startup, uh, you need work in advertisers as well, right? So. Yeah, I do. So we do. So uh, for, funnily enough, what a great segue. The company's called Riff, uh, R-Y-F-F, -F, and uh, the name comes from jazz music, to Riff. There you go. Spontaneously uh, create. And uh, my email address is simply Roy at Riff.com, or you can just go to www.riff.com and visit the website. Right. And uh, I promise we won't do anything cheesy. And maybe just before we close out, um, I know you've had some pretty great recent successes within the, uh, the traditional television world, right? And maybe there's not a lot you can share in detail, but you can maybe share some of the fact that oh, we're starting yeah, to learn no. some pretty big stuff. People are starting to get really interested in this. Yeah, one of the things that fascinated us was the discovery that um, I think like 67% of Gen Z and Gen Y um, views or visits to YouTube are connected with um, nostalgia, mm. past events, um, past heroes, past people. Classic and, TV shows, that kind of stuff, yeah. Yeah, so that was a real surprise to us. So one of our guys, Gary Edwards, invented uh, what he calls nostalgia. How do you find some content which is, has a romantic connotation connection for boomers uh, like myself, um, I'm sure you're younger than that. I'm sure you're Gen X too. Um, yeah. Only in my mind. Right? <laughs> <laughs> so we create this romantic connection uh, for us, 
And then what we do is we make it exciting so that the messages also connect to Gen Z and Gen Y. And uh, we had a fabulous success with that with Coca-Cola. Mm -hmm. So for the March Madness Final Four, uh, we did a program together with Coca-Cola where we brought the 2006 game for UCLA and we brought it out today with Cherry Coke. And that work was seen by 50 million people. Amazing. Right. And uh, was an enormous success. So, yeah, we're really pleased. We're working with major international brands and, uh, and major uh, networks and content makers. Right. So essentially refreshing older content and making it relevant and turning it into a new monetization tool for the content owners and the advertisers, which is terrific. Absolutely. Good. Absolutely. Well, this is great, Roy. Hopefully uh, people will check out the website, uh, ryff.com, riff.com, <laughs> and um, learn a little more about you. And if they you know, have business proposals or ways to get in touch, they know your email now and uh, be prepared to be inundated. So hopefully oh uh, that's going to start up once. So we appreciate yes, the time this morning and uh, everybody enjoy your, your Friday. And uh, we'll see you next week on This Week, is XR, this week at, in XR with Charlie <laughs> and Ted Shulowitz. Thanks, everybody. You got it. Thanks, Ted. Have a great day. Great weekend. Bye, everybody.